Hello, this is Tom Williams, and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's Interview Podcast. Well, after many years and having him in my sights, I finally have Frank Galati, the famed director, a man with nine Jeff Awards, two Tony Awards, uh, an accomplished director, actor, and adapter, who has a new project that's opening at Steppenwolf. Yes. Uh, say hello, Frank. Hello. Very happy to be here. Thank you. Tell us about The March. The March is a novel by E.L. Doctorow, one of our great artists of contemporary American fiction. He's the author of numerous very popular novels, including Ragtime, Billy Bathgate, Waterworks, and others, World's Fair, and this book, The March, was published in 2005. And this, of course, is the sesquicentennial of the Civil War this year. That's right. The last couple of years. Uh, from our, our story covers from November of 1864 until the end of the war in 1865. But Mr. Doctorow has created an amazing panorama of American history, and American story. It's a novel that you could compare maybe to War and Peace. Wow, the American War and Peace, huh? Well, I mean, not to be hyperbolic, okay. but it is our war. It, yeah, it is, sure is. It is the defining catastrophe of the American story. And Dr. O has always been deeply and passionately interested in the American story. I was very fortunate to have worked on the musical Ragtime. And so I got to know Dr. O during that time. That was in the late 90s. And when this novel came out in 2005, I read it thinking, wow, I wonder if there's any chance that it could work on stage. So you saw that right away in this? Well, you know, I... (laughs) I guess so. You I, have that eye for when you see the you see it on stage as you're reading it. Huh? Yes, I tr- I do sometimes do that, and uh, uh, it's an irresistible uh, temptation when a book is as full of drama and comedy as this book is. It seems strange to think that there could be comedy in the Civil War, but uh, Doctor O has a fantastic sense of humor, and there are comic scenes and characters in the novel. And there was a great deal of good humor and um, hijinks among the troops in the Civil War, uh, for sure. Because the, But the march covers at, from Atlanta to, to uh, Savannah. Savannah. Yes. The, the march, uh, which began in November of 1864 commenced after the destruction of Atlanta. Sherman and his forces took Atlanta and basically destroyed it. They destroyed the infrastructure, sent people into exile, blew up factories, and uh, destroyed the railroads. Some people called it the first act of, of, of modern war for total war. Yes, total war. In fact, that was uh, an expression that Sherman himself uh, apparently coined. His idea was to bring the South to its knees, 
to uh, basically have what he called a scorched earth policy, total war, to take 62,000 troops from Atlanta to Savannah, over 400 miles, to the sea where on uh, ships that belong to uh, the Union uh, Navy and forces, there were supplies, there was mail, ordnance, uh, clean uniforms. So getting to Savannah was an imperative. And once Sherman got to Savannah, he then decided to go north. So the march actually continued and really ended in Goldsboro, North Carolina. Wow. Yeah, and I know in the he went without supplies, which was that's right. And and didn't they cover? Did the infantry cover like twenty miles a day or something? They were sometimes yeah, as yeah. many as twenty miles a day. Sometimes five. Sometimes but he had 10. to he had to forage. So he sent out that's his right. cavalry right to. To That's just right. steal everything they could from That's anybody, right. right? Cattle, livestock. I mean, feeding 62,000 soldiers. That's right. It's amazing. That's right. Yes, and it was a very unusual move uh, strategically, and it was a risky one because he was completely cut off from communication, even with his superiors. Yeah, Lincoln and, and them had no idea no, what was going had, on, right? They had no idea. Wow. Didn't know where he was, weren't sure really where he was going. Some thought Macon, some thought Augusta, Savannah was predicted, but it was not certain. And that didn't that's he where feign? He, he feigned. He did. Yes, he did. So they could throw the Confederacy off. That, that's right. And he had several columns. There were four and sometimes five separate columns of troops that marched in kind of zigzaggy lines. That must have been an amazing sight to see. I'm sure Can there was hundreds of wagons. And yeah, yeah, hundreds and yeah. hundreds Hundreds of wagons, am ammunition, supplies, commissaries, food, traveling hospitals. But, but as you say, the whole notion was to live off of the land, which not is which had not been done, supplies. right? No, before they were not. stagnant, Bell. They would build up. Both sides would build That's up right. for weeks, and then they would maybe fight in an open field. That's right. That's but right. Wasn't there another phenomenon? Or didn't a lot of the slaves? That they freed, start following yes, them, they, thousands yes. of them? Yes, tens of thousands of freed uh, African-American men and women joined the march and followed in Sherman's wake. In fact, uh, there were several incidents, uh, some very tragic. There was an incident at Ebenezer Creek yeah. where a number of African-Americans drowned because the federal forces pulled up the pontoon boats uh, that were used to uh, cross the river, the, in this case the, uh, the Ebenezer Creek, which was a very large um, for a creek. It was more like a river. But, um, but Sherman, uh, when he was confronted with the uh, uh, assertion that he had let some African-American people drown, uh, said that it was a strategic move, that it was a necessary move, and in order to appease the uh, federal government and also to free himself of the blacks who were attaching themselves to his army, 
he created the notion of 40 acres and a mule. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Yes. I know in that instance, he was back in the one general that made that strategic move. Yes, uh, he was. Yes. Which was a tough thing in war because yes. if he had brought those people, he, he, the whole army was threatened. Yes, yeah. that's So that's those, right. are, those are tough decisions to yes, make. Yes, very, very, very tough. But Sherman was a fascinating and very complicated guy. His troops loved him, right? Yes, they but called he, him Uncle Billy. But wasn't he kind of unstable and kind of... Uh, yes, he had uh, a couple of bouts of very serious mental instability. He had a big nervous breakdown before um, Shiloh. He was a little sort of paranoid. He thought that he was going to need 200,000. He was relieved of command and uh, was uh, forced to kind of convalesce and recover. When he was well enough, he was given his commission back. But then he, he, was, he was thought to be manic-depressive. In and today's he, world, okay. Yes, and he he suffered some very serious bouts of depression. He lost his uh, favorite son, Willie, during the campaign. He lost his second son, um, uh, who was only six months old. Uh, his wife was a devout Catholic. He was a uh, an agnostic himself. He did he did not believe. Uh, he, he did not practice, uh, um, any faith. Uh, he, he, but he was a devoted father and, uh, a, he, he was a very fine writer. His memoirs are extraordinary. Oh, I didn't know that. And Dr. O uses and calls from his memoirs well, didn't for he, some of his texts. Didn't him and Grant sort of help one another at certain points? Grant, uh, got him out of the depression, and at certain That's points right. he got Grant back. That's right. On track, they they were kindred spirits. They really hit it off. They liked each other very much. Both West Pointers. Um, it's fascinating when you kind of get. It wasn't he very small, like five foot or something. Real, real short. No, actually, up? no. Sherman was six something. Oh, he was bigger. Yes, okay. he was tall. And our Harry Groner. Who plays Sherman in our production? Oh, I was going to ask you that, Harry. Wow, that's he's, great casting. He's fantastic. Yeah. He's absolutely fantastic. Well, he's just coming off he's, King King George. Yes, <laughs> King George, the madness of King George, and now it's the madness of William Tecumseh wow. Sherman. Yes. When I saw that on the cast list, I, yes. I kind of I put an asterisk. I kind of assumed that, but I had to yes, ask you that. Yes, yes, wow. yes. So, what can we expect? How do you do a march, a several week or several month march? With 62,000 people. How do you do that on stage? <laughs> Give us your vision. I mean, well, um, the great thing about the novel is that it negotiates back and forth between foreground and background. In the background are the great historic events that unfolded in 1864 and 1865, including the assassination of Abraham Lincoln the treaty at Appomattox, the conclusion of the Civil War, um, and, of course, Sherman's march leading up to it. But in the foreground of the novel are fictional characters whose relationships form the core and the meat of the story. 
And the, the characters that Dr. O creates are vivid, three-dimensional, some of them very robust, full of life, full of beans. What kind of, uh, uh, like military officers? Yeah, or? there's, there are two soldiers. They're Confederate soldiers, uh, 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 Arlie Wilcox, played by Jan Barford, and, uh, Will B. Kirkland, played by Stephen Lewis Grush. And these two guys survive the war by changing sides. Mm. They, I'm sure that happened more times than we'd uh, like. Yes, it did. Yes, it definitely did. They come upon, they, they, they meet each other in prison, in a Confederate prison. One for deserting. One is in for deserting. The other one is in for sleeping on guard duty. And, uh, what happens is that, uh, General Nathaniel Wayne comes to this Confederate prison in Milledgeville and tells all the prisoners that if they vow to fight for the great state of Georgia, that their sentences will be commuted and they will become Confederate soldiers instead of prisoners of war. So Will and Arlie are released from prison and they become Confederate soldiers again. They fight in this battle over a bridge on the Oconee River. Yeah, they had a series of like small battles. All That's the way right. The march, there right? were a series of small battles. There was some resistance uh to Sherman's uh, uh approach from Confederate troops and in this case the Confederates tried to hold off the Union troops at this bridge over the Oconee River what happens is the Confederates are routed and in the meantime Will and Arlie in order to survive come upon some Union dead and they steal their uniforms their jackets and their hats their boots and their new repeating rifles, and they basically become Union soldiers. So they move with the Union troops into the, into the Union camp, and they interact with a number of other characters who become central to the story. One is a young woman whose name is Emily Thompson, whose father dies at the very beginning of the story. He's the chief justice of the Georgia Supreme Court. And when he dies and her slave, house slave woman, Wilma, leaves her, she, in an effort to uh, bury her very distinguished father, she meets up with a, a young doctor whose name is Reed Sartorius. Dr. Sartorius is a German immigrant, and there were lots of Europeans, British, Irish, French, Spanish, Italian, German, Portuguese, lots of individuals from uh, across the pond who were engaged in the Civil War, some as combatants uh, and others uh, who who took a business advantage of, of the war. In any case, this Dr. Sartorius is a fascinating character. Who plays him? Um, Phil Smith. Phil oh, R. Oh, Smith. Yeah, a, a very distinguished, wonderful actor from the Looking Glass yeah, Company. Looking Glass, right. So Sartorius falls in love with Emily Thompson. Mm. And 
young Wilby Kirkland also falls in love with Emily Thompson. And then there are the African-American characters that uh, uh, are at the center of the story. One is Wilma, who's the woman that works for, is the, is the slave of the Emily Thompson household. And Wilma is in love with a man who's a black man who's a freed slave who fights in the Union Army, and there were freed slaves. Oh yeah, there were a lot. There was fought, yeah several uh, major units. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So the man that she's in love with is Colehouse Walker Senior. Now you may yeah. recognize the name from Ragtime. Yes, from Ragtime. So Wilma and Colehouse are the parents of Colehouse Walker Junior, who is the central character of Ragtime. So I love that. I lo- isn't and, and, that great? Yeah. That's so a, you so you yeah. meet you know the 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 first generation of Colehouse Walkers in in the march, but then there's another character, a fascinating. Young girl, she's 13, 14, 15, she's not sure how old she is, of mixed blood. She's the daughter of a plantation owner and a slave woman, Nancy Wilkins. That happened a few times. That (laughs) happened a few times. And this is a girl with white skin who is African-American, half African-American. Her name is Pearl. And Pearl is a, a central character in the story. She is someone who uh, also survives the war with a degree of cunning and wit and savvy. She attaches herself to a young lieutenant, and the lieutenant, in order to keep her, and we don't quite know whether his motives are all on the up and up, disguises her as a drummer boy. So she stays with the troops until her Lieutenant Clark, the the young man who basically um, abducts her and, and inducts her into the army to become a drummer boy, he is killed. And in the aftermath of his, his uh, murder in Sandersonville, she meets William Tecumseh Sherman, who, as a grieving father, having lost his own son the previous year, attaches himself with great affection to this drummer boy, not knowing that he is not a boy and that he is not white. Is that fictional or is it? It's fictional. It's fictional. Yes, it's fictional. Okay. It's Doctorow at his best. Yeah, he is so good at that, at weaving in facts. Yes, and yes. And he brings history alive. Yes, yes. Yeah, that, that's absolutely the case with this. It, so, as you can see, it's a constellation of fictional and historical characters that are working out their own destinies, their own passions, their own ambitions, and their will to survive against the background of the most terrible conflict in American history. Yeah, and and the pivotal, because the march is really what won, the, what turned yes. the tide in the war. Yes, yeah. in fact, it is said that if Sherman had not been 
in quotes, successful, as damaging as the march was, Lincoln would have lost the second election. Yeah, he attributes it. Because Grant was already bogged down in in trench warfare, which That's was right. a, a you know indication of what was going to happen in World That's War One, right. and That's they were right. yeah they were stag- stalemated, and That's the, right. the losses were just counting. That's yeah. right. Another interesting detail about uh, warfare and the importance of the Civil War uh, in terms of you know global conflicts is that it was among the first uh, uh, times that. Um, explosive uh, mines were used. Um, The Confederates mined the road ahead of Sherman's troops. Yeah. yeah. And uh, there were a number of casualties that were, um, you know, just horrible carnage. Because he really didn't have, on the whole, a lot of casualties. No, that's right. And he was getting them there. And if I remember the documentary I saw about it, that he went, did he go ahead and hang some people? or He, he did yes, something he did. to the Confederates he, that made them not mine anymore. That, that's correct. What he did was he, he rounded up Confederate prisoners. Prisoners, okay. And he had the prisoners march ahead of the Federal troops, sometimes crawling on their knees looking for these landmines, and if they were blown up, uh, so much the better. They were the wow. casualties. Now, that shows you modern war. As cruel yes. as that is, yes. it's better, I guess, them than your guys. I, you know. Well, and it's a terrorist uh, yeah. act, yeah. too, really. And Well, and I know the Germans and the and the uh, English did that in World War One yes. too. And I yes. know in, the, in World War Two the Russians mm-hmm. uh, used sometimes their own troops. Because they didn't want to lose the tanks. That's, yes, yes. But that, so Sherman started that. Tank. Yes, yes, that's right. Wow. Yeah, it's it's the uh, mining did stop pretty fast, didn't it? Yes, it did. When the Confederate uh, generals learned that Sherman was using Confederate soldiers as uh, um, uh, decoys, uh, to, cannon to, fodder, to, yeah, to cannon mm-hmm. fodder to set off these wow. these uh, landmines, then they stopped the landmines. Wow. Yeah. So give us your vision. Now, now how, how long is the show? And how? The, the show is in two acts. Two acts, okay. The first act is an hour and 20 minutes. Okay. The second act is about an hour. Okay, so it's not, a, it's not an epic, but it's long enough to k- tell the story. Right. It, it, it's, uh, it's plenty long. I mean, in the sense that you, you really uh, experience the um, travail of... Uh, a, a difficult uh, mission under circumstances that are very hostile, and sometimes in in weather that was very inclement. That uh, winter of a- a- eighteen sixty four sixty five was actually pretty brutal. Which cold for it was cold. Mm-hmm. It was uh, rainy and freezing rain. In Georgia, and even snow. I was very surprised. Wow, I didn't realize. I read a couple of journal accounts of those years of the march, and um, there was a fair amount of snow. So how do you depict all this on stage? Are you using video, too? Or No, I mean, it, it, the, the idea of um, photographed images or 
video images, uh, while it's somewhat appropriate to the Civil War, because the Civil War was the first photograph, photograph war, war yes. and photographers were enormously important. Ken Burns did a nice job yeah, with well, it. Well, <laughs> he did a magnificent job. And it's amazing, isn't it, to think that that was 20 years ago. Yeah. Almost 20 years ago that that first aired. Ken Burns' masterpiece, yes. really, the Civil War. But we don't use photographs, even though there's a photographer, and one of the characters in the in the novel is a photographer. Uh, we're depending upon Dr. O's powerful, evocative, and visceral language. It is it, it these are paragraphs of American prose that are as good as it gets. Wow. They they billow and and since crackle. theater's about imagination anyhow, if, yeah. the, if the words paint the pictures, we then see those. Yes, I okay. think that's true. I wow. I appreciate your saying that because, like Shakespeare, uh, the the scenery is in the poetry. So so how how long did you did it take you to adapt? Well, you know. I started. Shortly after reading the book in 2005, but I was doing it for my own exercise just to see if it would be possible to compress the novel into two and a half hours of stage time. So you had to come up with a point of view, right? To yes, keep the story exactly, moving, right? A point of view. And I chose to focus on these two Confederate soldiers primarily. And to eliminate some other characters, obviously the cast of characters of the of the novel is much larger. But you still have twenty six in your case. Uh, right? Yes, we still have, <laughs> we still have twenty six. Yes, so it's a pretty ample gallery of very very interesting uh, characters. But altogether, uh, once we got permission from Mister Doctorow to go ahead with the project, uh, I've been working on it for you know pretty much. Steadily for four years. Okay. So it's a. Uh, How is he to work with? I know since oh, you knew fantastic. him, yeah, he is. He's, a, he's fantastic. He's open to your ideas. And oh things? yes, no, he's he's very um, very removed. Uh, I mean, I've I've had no conversations with him about it at all. He's coming to the opening. He read the script. He approved of the script. He gave us the go ahead. Uh, but beyond that, he's very hands-off. It was the same thing with Ragtime. Wow. I'll never forget. But that's an act of trust uh, well, to you. It, yeah. Well, it is. And, of course, I'm very grateful for that confidence and trust. Uh, when we did Ragtime, um, Mr. Dr. O came to a rehearsal in Toronto after we had been rehearsing for maybe a month or two. Um, he came by, and I'll never forget the day the day he showed up. You had to be nervous. <laughs> I was petrified. I was petrified. And we were doing the scene for the first time in which the firemen, the fire chief, and the members of this fire company destroy Colehouse Walker Jr.'s car. Yeah, that's a big scene. Yeah. They, they bash it and yeah. smash it and break the headlights and smash the windshield and beat up the car and they defecate on it. And it's a sacrilege, it's an obscenity, and it's a racist uh, attack. Yeah. And it is extremely heartbreaking and, and 
very vivid and visceral and physical in the novel when you read it. And that's the scene that I was working on when Dr. O came wow. to our <laughs> rehearsal. Jeez. So, but fortunately, he was fascinated by it. And he loved the actors. He it was a great production. Well, it, it was a joy to work on. It really was. Everybody felt sad that, that it was you or Lion King. Oh, that year that's for the awards. Nice yeah. <laughs> I mean, Lion King is the Lion King. Yes, it's the it Lion King. It almost should have been a different category. <laughs> oh, well, you know, then, yes. you know, it was right across the street yeah. from us, and we knew that they were going to win all the awards. Yeah. Although Ragtime won a few. Yeah. You could, uh, um, but you were nominated. Score. Yeah. But you were nominated for what, like 12 or 13? Yeah, that's right. We And it's still in many people's eyes, it's still. In my, in my view, it's one of the, one of the 25 best musicals ever. Oh my I really gosh. think so. Thank you very much. Wow. The, the, so the March now is, let me give a little commercial for it. It's opening at Steppenwolf. Yes. Um, on the 14th and I'm seeing it on the 17th of April yes. and you're going to run f- till how long? Until June the 10th. June the 10th is our schedule. And I have a feeling of, there's a big buzz on this show. I have a feeling that it could, it, it could move on. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, we'll see. I mean, New York seems to be liking Chicago plays, and uh, rightly so. Well, we're any plans you think of taking us to New York? I no plans at all. We are living in the moment. Okay. We are doing what our job is, which is to do the best we can uh, for for this for this run, and uh, we just hope that people will connect with this story in the way that we have, because it's been. A real inspiration for us as an ensemble to work on. You, you know, when you're, when you're given the opportunity to tell a story as profound and significant as the story of the Civil War, it comes with a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, and I've talked to a few of the actors who were, who were involved in the play, you know, you see them at other shows. Yes. And they're right. all saying, wow, what an experience. I mean, I've hearing that all over town. No kidding. Yeah. Well, that's great to hear. And of course, they love working for you. Well, I, I love working for them. All right. In the interest of time, uh, I, and this is a great explanation, folks, you gotta, you gotta get to see the march. Uh, but let's talk about some of the, you have two Tony Awards for the Grapes of Wrath. I, re, I do remember that was a marvelous production. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, it was for best director and best play. Yes, and wasn't there a, a lyric opera version? There was an opera yeah. of uh, the Grapes of Wrath yeah. that Ricky Ian Gordon, okay. who's a wonderful American composer, uh, created, and Eric Simonson, who is a member of the Steppenwolf mm-hmm. Ensemble, and who was in the Grapes of Wrath when we did it here in Chicago and then on Broadway. Eric directed the opera in its world premiere production, which I'm pretty sure was in Minneapolis or St. Paul. Okay. Uh, and it has been done uh, around the country. I have, I've, As far as I know, it hasn't been recorded, so I've not heard it, okay. and I've never seen it. Oh, okay. But um, but what about Accidental Tourist, the screenplay? Accidental Tourist, yes, that was... Uh, that was an effort of mine. Um, uh, it was lots of fun to do. Lawrence Kasdan mm-hmm. uh, was the director. Gina Davis won an Academy Award 
for her performance in The Accidental Tourist. And we were nominated, Lawrence Kasdan and I, for uh, an Academy Award for a screenplay, That's adapted terrific. screenplay. You also, uh, Homebody Cabal was terrific. Oh, thank you. And you as an actor and drawer boy with John Mahoney, I'll never forget <laughs> yes. that. That was that had to be fun. That was a lot of fun, yes, it really was. And you were involved with great. Pirate Queen, which is yes. a, a show that I like, and I still think that, that that'll... That'll come back to life. Don't well, you, you never know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it had lots of uh, supporters and fans. Some people loved it and loved the music, and others found it uh, uh, sort of like a fairy tale and kind of superficial because it was sort of a fantastic, uh, you know, pirate adventure. But it had the a, great Irish music too. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And Bublil and Schoenberg, a very distinguished composing team with yeah. Les Mis and. Yes. Uh, and Miss Saigon, yeah. Sometimes it's a matter of timing, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. And taste and, uh, um, I don't know, the stars. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> that's that. All right, last question because we're running out of time. And I ask this of everybody. With all the things you have done as an actor, as an adapter, as a, as a director, is there still a project or something that you haven't done that you really feel like you have to do oh yeah give us one there's uh, a few really um i i guess i'm inclined to look at novels and think about how novels might unfold in time on stage And, uh. Do you have one, one in mind? Well, I mean, I love Steinbeck's East of Eden. Wow. Which okay. I think is very, very problematic and it would be very difficult to do. It would require an enormous cast. And it's also, it's a chronicle of a family over several generations. So you have the problem of, you know, children who grow up during mm-hmm. the course of the story. So you have to have two sets of actors to play, you know, the same characters as young people. And Sounds like Follies. <laughs> yeah, like exactly right. So that's one. Okay, that that's one. I'm I'm very. Um, uh, I love Thomas Mann. I've always wanted to do the Magic Mountain. Mm. Um, and I'm I am very interested in opera. And uh, we need some new operas. We do. Yeah. And, and I did uh, View from the Bridge at the Lyric a few years ago, which was a real thrill because it was William Balcom's spectacular score of Arthur Miller's play. Mm-hmm. And, and Arthur Miller was alive at the time. He saw it here in Chicago at the Lyric and also at the Met when we did it in New York. And uh, he was. He was very, very supportive of it. He and 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 I think with very good reason because he always he always thought of the story of Eddie Carbone and of You from the Bridge as a kind of like Greek tragedy. Yeah, and I, I it, could see it, that singing. I did not see that, but yeah. I'm sure I'll catch it the next. Yeah, time well, it has that yeah. kind of you mm-hmm. know scale the yes, scale of a greek tragedy and there are other um so you'd like to do another opera i would yeah okay. uh-huh. yeah 
But you you're retired now from Northwestern. Yes, I, I. So you're not really retired. You're just not teaching anymore. That's correct. I'm not teaching anymore. I was in university teaching for 40 years. I started when I was 22 in 1966. There's a lot of people in theater today that that owe a lot to you. Well, yeah. I was very fortunate to have some amazing. Last students. question: If I were to wake you up in the middle of the night and says, "Who are you?" You would say, "I am a." An artist. Okay. I I can say that now without really thinking much about it, but it's taken me years and years and years to be able to say that. Now I say it. I remember once uh, Artist Kranig, the beloved uh, late artistic director of the Lyric Opera, I knew her for years, and I worked there a fair amount, and... One day at rehearsal, um, she stopped in the room and said, would I come to have a little dinner with some donors uh, that evening? And I said, Miss Cranick, I'm not, I'm not dressed. Uh, I'd love to, but I'm just in my rehearsal clothes. She said, dearie, you're an artist. You can wear whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, wow, she called me an artist. That is quite an honor, isn't it? It was. Yeah. It was. And it was the really the first time I actually actively started thinking of myself in those terms. Well, you certainly are. And folks, make sure you get to see the march. I, I just just from what Frank has been describing, you gotta go see it. And remember, go see a play this week. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Mm-hmm.